this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. And thank you for joining me, Mike Dilk, on this week's Relax Back UK show. For the first topic, my guests are Katie Piper and also Sarah Olson of Blue Air. The topic is indoor pollution, what to do about it and the sources of that pollution. Oh, I've got a nice grim list for you. Um, so there is the there is the obvious one of pollen, you know, and, you know, over half of us in the population now suffer from hay fever. But there's other things such as uh, pet dander, there's mould. Keep listening for the rest of Katie's grim list of causes of indoor nastiness in the air. Then the vet Bolo Esso talks about the different relationships we have with our pets, particularly dogs around the world, and also what we feed them in different parts of the world. But dogs aren't obligate carnivores, they're actually omnivores. So it means that they don't have to just eat meat, they can eat vegetables. And that's why a lot of dogs graze, a lot of dogs eat grass, and why dogs can handle carbohydrates and vegetables a lot better than cats do. So please do stay tuned for a great show. Thank you. The station that makes you feel good. It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things. Make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% with the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk or click our banner on the UK Health Radio website. Discover alcohol freedom with Zero Zilch Zip. Because nothing's better. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. My guests for the topic of indoor air pollution are Katie Piper and Sarah Elson. And it became apparent that Katie gets up to so much that her intro could be kind of rather long. So I took the easy way out and got Katie and Sarah to introduce themselves. Katie, you do so much stuff. I was sort of str- I was really struggling with your introduction. So maybe you can oh, really? help me. I'll duck out. You introduce okay. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Katie Piper. I'm a TV presenter and I'm also a writer. Um, but yes, you're right. I, I have uh, founded a charity. So I founded a Burns charity, uh, which I'm also a, a trustee of now as well here in the UK. OK, so you're not bored. You get up to a lot of stuff. <laughs> B- busy, yes. I like to be busy. OK, uh, so my name is Sarah Alson. I am the chief purpose officer of Swedish Blue Air, an expert in air purification. So that's that, that's uh, the topic. So to, to both of you, really, why should we be uh, worried about uh, indoor air quality? You know, what's the big deal? What's it all about? 
Okay, so for me, um, it was a journey that actually started many, many years ago. Um, and I, I really became aware of indoor air pollution um, when I was badly injured. So I was injured in my early 20s. Um, I, I had a burn injury from an acid attack. Um, and one of the, the long-term injuries uh, from the burns was that my respiratory tract was affected. Um, so more specifically, the, the all the lining of my nose was destroyed. So it was actually medical professionals that first started to talk to me about air quality. Um, they told me that I would be more susceptible to infections, bacteria. Um, and in that first instance, they talked about hygiene around cleaning your nose and sinuses. But then they talked about where am I going to be spending most of my time? Where am I going to be working? How can I ensure the quality of that air? So, so it was them that talked talk to me about getting an air purifier. And then fast forward many years later, um, I'm married. I've got two children. I married someone with hay fever. Um, I also have hay fever myself. Uh, we have pets at home as well. So an air purifier now isn't just about me and my needs. Um, you know, I'm always looking of ways to improve my family's health. And we've really, really found it um, beneficial in terms of, especially this time of year, you know, we're going into that sort of medium to high time for pollen. Um, so it really, really helps us with, with allergens and pollutants. So what are the sorts of, you say pollutants, what are the sort of stuff, what's the sort of stuff that might be lurking in, uh, you know, an average home? Oh, I've got a nice grim list for you. Um, so there is the there is the obvious one of pollen, you know, and you know, over half of us in the population now suffer from hay fever. But there's other things such as uh, pet dander, there's mold, there's microplastics. Yes. Is, yeah, so I, we've recently got a dog uh, a yeah. few months ago, which is great fun. It's lovely. But I, I must admit, I don't really know what pet dander is. Everyone says all pet dander. But what the heck what is it? So some of it's visible, some of it's not so visible. And I'm, I'm a big dog lover. I'm not anti-pets. I've got pets myself. Um, so you'll get the, the, you know, the common stuff of the fur when they're molting and they're shedding. But also they shed just like us. You know, they have their skin particles, bacteria, uh, bits that they're walking in from their feet. So you'll have all these kind of uh, dust mites as well that will be, you know, heavily contributed, not just by you, but your pets as well. Um, there's microplastics, there's bacteria. Just Let's rewind a little bit. You just mentioned dust okay mm -hmm. now everyone says old oh, dust that's just skin like, is, is dust really dry skin that kind of sloughs off you well, yeah, I think if you put dust under a microscope, a large percent of dust would be skin particles. You know, we know that we we shed our skin um, and it can be harmful breathing it in. It's also unhygienic. You know, if you if you take somebody, well, if you take me, I, I've had air purifiers for years. So when I go away and stay somewhere else in different accommodation, I notice the difference and it, the way I'll notice the difference is my eyes will be more itchy. I'll be more sneezy. The air doesn't feel as clean and as fresh. And when I come home, because they've been off, we have to vacuum more. So once you start using the air purifier every day, you'll find that you don't have to vacuum the house as much. The house yeah. actually smells better as well. All right. So we, we were going through the sort of the, the things that this pollution might come from. And you mentioned dust and then I interrupted you. So you said you got a grim list. Let's carry on with your grim list. <laughs> okay. Well, there's also, you know, there's bacteria, there's microplastics, there's things that come from, uh, it's like beauty products, hairspray. Uh, if you're one of those people that uses a lot of cleaning products, you know, the really strong smelling ones, if you're not kind of using the sort of more natural ones that can uh, leave pollutants in the air as well. Yeah. So, the, the, yeah, I, I, I did a 
quick Google actually before we chatted. Is it is this the uh, the VOCs, volatile organic compounds? Right. You've really spotted up, haven't you? <laughs> well, not really, but it's, it's kind of it's the, it's the first thing that pops up if you do a, a bit of a Google search. So, yeah, what on earth are those solids or chemicals or, or both? Well, I, th- I think, Sarah, you might be best to answer this one. This is this is very technical. Yeah, I would say that there are really two types of pollutants in the air. There are particles and VOCs or, or chemicals, as, as you'd say. So particles are um, things like pet dander, bacteria, viruses, molds, smoke. How, how, uh, how big are these things? Oh, they're tiny, 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 and you can't see them with, uh, with, with the eye. They're just a fraction of the diameter of a hair. And um, they are so small so that these particles, so that when you breathe them in, they can actually enter into the deep lung and penetrate the lung membrane and go into the bloodstream. And that is why they are uh, dangerous. Okay, so, we, so yeah, right. So we, we got particles. And then and we have the chemicals. Then we have the chemicals, as as you mentioned, the VOCs, yeah. and uh, typical chemicals that you would have in your home. They come from beauty products or cleaning products. Um, can also come from uh, chemicals used in 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 paints, in building materials, or in furniture. Well, what about radon? Radon. Uh, yeah. is absolutely uh, something to worry about if you have radon in your house. And that sort of seeps up through the ground if you live in a sort of place which is, um, well, I was going to say radio- radioactive, but I think, you know, places like Cornwall, they suffer from radon getting into basements, don't they? I'm not familiar with Cornwall, but yes, that may very well be. Okay. Not to worry. All right, so let, let, let's carry on with the sort of sources of, of these uh, some some of these things. Um, I've got a log burning stove, which I love, um, and uh, I was told by the person that sold it to me that it was very efficient and uh, it that what little pollutants there were because it was so efficient at burning everything went straight up the chimney. Um, am I likely to getting any pollutants from that though? Yes, absolutely. So wood burning is a major source of indoor air pollution, Um, but it's lovely and uh, you should definitely continue. But do make sure that you open a window uh, while you you burn wood inside. Um, That is probably the best way of getting the, uh, the, uh, the pollutants out or the particles out and getting fresh indoor air. In. Right. I've got, I've got a drafty old house, so I'm probably all right. Let me ask you about something which has just sort of taken off uh, recently, which sort of stems on from smoking, which obviously filling your house up with smoke is going to have loads of little particles. What about vaping? Sorry, that, what about? Vaping. Does that produce tiny little bits of uh, particles, pollutants? Yes, I think vaping, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert on vaping, but I would say that it produces uh, chemicals rather than uh, particles. That would be the, the, the one thing to worry about. Right. Okay. So anyway, we got this great grim list, as, as Katie told it. What kind of habits 
or new habits can we acquire when we're doing our housework or, you know, just getting on with everyday life to try and reduce uh, some of these? You know, some of them are obvious, like, you know, my log burning stove, open the window or just don't burn stuff in it. But what other sort of advice as far as changing our habits, the way we do our household chores, that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, sorry, after you, go on. Either of you. No, you can start, Katie. Okay, sure. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's a really good question because I think when we do talk about health, it can create some anxiety and that feeling of being a little bit helpless. You know, how how can we make this better? And the positive thing is there's lots of things that we can do. Um, So vacuuming regularly is really important. If you vacuum frequently, you're going to really help reduce uh, common allergens such as dust and mites. Uh, Similarly, washing your bedding regularly is another really important one. And when you vacuum, make sure you vacuum, you know, all of the surfaces. your sofa your cushions as well as your carpets if you're considering any kind of renovation or changing the interior of your house you know maybe uh, consider sort of hard floor rather than carpets because you know research has shown that carpets do trap unhealthy particles so dirt fungi dust mites that kind of thing um all, and when all you're the do- kind of stuff we've been talking about on your grim list yeah. yeah all the all the lovely stuff um and also when you're doing the cleaning try to opt for natural cleaning products you know don't don't go for the strong smelling ones. There's some really good stuff on social media where people make their own cleaning products with vinegar and, and other kind of natural stuff. So that's a really important one. Uh, we touched on ventilation, you know, if you can and you live in a clean air area. So if you live in more of the countryside rather than a built up city, keep the ventilation going with windows open, back doors open. You can also buy uh, specific plants that have been recommended. So oh, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a list. I've got a list here actually of indoor plants that are supposed to help with um, eliminating household pollutants. So apparently the peace lily is a very good one and also English ivy. So who knew? I didn't actually know that before. Yeah. Um, so they're good plants to have. Maybe if you're working from home, you know, have an area where, where you're sitting. Um, if you do have pets, we talked a lot about pet dander earlier. Do try to get them groomed regularly. Um, that can really help with the kind of, you know, the flex of skin, a trap there that can help to shed that. Um, and it will stop those things becoming airborne. So and it will, you'll, you'll find you really reduce your allergy symptoms as well if, if your pets do make you a bit runny nose or itchy eyes. Um, and of course, the most obvious one, uh, what we're talking about today, you know, we're talking about the blue air purifier. Um, invest in an air purifier you know, and, and put it in the rooms that you're in the most. So I'd recommend putting it in your bedroom where you sleep, where your children sleep. Uh, for me, I have one downstairs because I work from home a lot. Um, and really research and make sure that you get the right one for you and your family. Okay. So, I, I, yeah, I, I saw you were kind of interested in these air purifiers, but that I immediately thought of a question there. You, you've been through some of the things in, in your grim list and bacteria and virus, you know, can it really take things out of the air that are that small? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it can remove up to 99.97% of airborne pollutants. Okay. So, the other thing I thought, all right, so you get a filter f- which is full of this nastiness. How do you clean the filter without kind of exposing your stuff to all this nastiness again? How, how, how does that work? I'll let you answer that one, Sarah. Yeah, yeah, technical question there. Yes, happy to take that question. You don't actually clean the filter. You replace the filter. It's a little bit like a vacuum cleaner uh, or a Hoover, as you call it, thing that 
yeah. uh, where you replace the bag. So you would do the same thing with an air purifier. You would take your filter out and you would replace it regularly with a new filter, given okay, your so air that's, purifier so that's not an issue. Yeah. Well, what about the other thing I thought about? And Katie, you're probably best to answer this because you said you got one in the bedroom. Does it make noise? Like, can you go to sleep with this thing churning away in the background? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that is why you shouldn't just go online and click and just buy the first one you come across. You really need to do your research and think about what your requirements are. So for me, I work from home a lot um, and a lot of my work needs silence. I'm recording or I'm on the phone and, and the same at night. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a good sleeper. I like to have silence in the bedroom. So the reason why I use the, the blue air purifier is it has HEPI silent filtration technology. So what this means is it uses a less dense filter than your traditional uh, purifiers. So it's actually silent. You can't hear any kind of noise, um, which is really important to me. And I, th I think another thing that is important you know, we're talking a lot about energy bills at the moment. That's a big topic for lots of people. People are struggling to pay their energy bills. So do look um, for an air purifier that's energy efficient. So this particular one uses less energy than a light bulb. And, you know, that was really on my checklist when I was searching for the right one. Right. And are they big? Are they kind of big, massive things you have to wheel about? Well, that's another thing. You need to measure your room. You need to take the um, measurements of the room you're going to put the air purifier in, go on the website and find the right size for you. So no, they're not massive. They don't have wheels on them. And aesthetically, they're rather beautiful. Um, on the top, you can put things, you can use them as a rest. And, you know, they're, they're, they're Swedish. So of course, they're stylish. Um, <laughs> I know so, all yeah. about beautiful Swedish things. I, yeah. I import stuff from Sweden myself. Oh, so. really? Okay. So, yeah. And actually... So we joke about it, but that's important, isn't it? Your interiors, your aesthetics, you want it all to match. So no, it's not like a big ugly unit at all. No, oh, that's good to know. Things from Sweden, in my experience, are quite expensive. Are, they, <laughs> are these things expensive? Um, do you know what? This is such an interesting conversation because what we're talking about is health and investing in our health. And I think, you know, long has the debate lasted of, well, you know, what, what, at what cost does our health come? And I, and I think it depends to each individual. For me, I, I, I do invest in my health, not just with an air purifier, but with lots of different things in my life. And those are my priorities. And I think we all make decisions of what we spend our money on in life and what, what are our priorities. So I think what's expensive to one person or a priority to one person might be different to the next. Yeah, good answer. Fair comment. All right. But if, if people are thinking, all right, maybe I'd like to see how much these things cost or uh, find out a bit more information about indoor air pollution in general, but also about air purifiers in general and these particular ones you're talking about, the blue air ones. Where are some uh, good resources, please? So the best place to start would be to go on the Blue Air website. So that's www.blueair.com forward slash GB. There's some really good information on there. The products are on there and you can understand a bit more about the technology. But if you're kind of looking for a community of people that are, you know, really sort of knowledgeable about this, maybe go on to uh, the social media, Blue Air social media. So on Instagram, they're at Blue Air uh, AB. But also go on to mine because I've been making some reels and doing some demos and showing you actually in my home how I'm using the product um, I'm at Casey Piper underscore on Instagram and you'll find um, on my posts there's lots of different comments from different people that are all really up on this all really understand it they use purifiers themselves so so search out that community too that's really valuable excellent all right good advice there thank you very much indeed for chatting about indoor air quality both of you and um, many thanks for your time 
Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much, Mike. Cheers. The station that makes you feel good. It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things, make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits, and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% with the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk or click our banner on the UK Health Radio website. Discover alcohol freedom with Zero Zilch Zip. Because nothing's better. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. So all of you, thank you very much for tuning in and listening to the Relax Back UK show. I really do appreciate every single one of you. Right now, you can vote in the UK Health Radio Awards. You can vote for your favourite guest that's been on to uh, the Relax Back UK show or a guest on any of the other shows on UK Health Radio. You can also vote for your, va- your favourite presenter. There are over 40 of us now. Uh, pick who you like, but... Just as long as it's me, okay? No, seriously, you can choose who you like, but go ahead and vote. The way to do that is to go to the UK Health Radio website, ukhealthradio.com. Go to the home page and click on the, the vote button. So very simple to do that. will just take you a few minutes. Now, pets and our relationship to pets is a large part of people's lives. My guest, um, Bolu Esu, is a vet. And uh, he has been a vet in many places around the world, worked in many places around the world. And that led to my first question for him. Now, you studied in Hungary and you worked in the USA and India. Now you practice, you practice in the UK. So you're very international. Uh, well, yeah. generally, but certainly as being a vet is concerned. Where have you kind of experienced the strangest relationship that people have with their dogs? Hmm, that's a, that's a good question. I think um, when I think about relationships with dogs and, and the relationship that we have with our dogs, I think it varies depending on a cultural aspect. So depending on where you are in the world, you have a different cultural relationship with animals in general. Um, I think in the West, we're a bit more capitalistic and we've, we've gotten past the point of using animals for um, whether it's livestock rearing or, or um, as, a, as a working companion in that sense. I mean, only very few farmers are still using using dogs like border collies and things like that for working purposes but when you're out in maybe per se india or some places in africa um the relationship with animals can sometimes be more of from a guardian perspective so whether you've got the guard dogs or you can also have the livestock dogs or just maybe and it's the same with cattle as well just livestock kind of relationship it's more of a working relationship than it is a companionship you know where their dogs might be more outside versus how we keep our dogs inside and some people have their dogs in their bed it really depends on you so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we, yeah so uh, i said we've got a dog uh we all love the dog but we haven't yet uh had the dog 
sleeping with us in the bed i have to say okay okay you haven't got to that stage yet you'll get you'll get there you'll get there there's gonna be a moment where you feel a little bit cold a bit lonely <laughs> and you're gonna want an extra, an extra body in the bed yeah but my experience which are, is is limited uh admittedly but um if you're in another country and anywhere in the world and a dog is approaching if you pretend to pick up a stone what happens next is pretty telling on how that country tends to treat dogs, I think. Oh, I think, oh, well. Do you know, do you know it, what it, I mean? Because if you it, pretend do, to pick I up know. a stone and the dog runs away, I think yeah. you should have been having stones chucked at it. I do know exactly. I do know exactly what you mean, and yeah. In fairness, in some in some places where there are strays and where there is a heavy stray um, population in some countries, I think dogs do get a bit of the bad end of the stick. But in some places as well, also I feel like we we give a, a little bit less credit to the dog that might be intelligent on the fact that he's reaching for a weapon, so he may run and split the opposite direction. Um, and so often dogs dogs do pick up on cues, and if if they are kind of moving away from you, a lot of the time. In certain areas, they're just kind of shying away, protecting themselves, just to be on the safe side, because they're always cautious with strangers. Whereas, like you said, in some places, you could have stray dogs which come straight up to meet you, or beg for food, or, or you know, just want attention. So it really does. It really does vary. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you picked up a stone or pretended to pick up a stone in front of my dog, uh, she would just come up to you and you know assume you were going to give her some food. Um, food. <laughs> But on, on, on that kind of topic, what about feeding dogs in different countries? You, you, you must have some uh, good stories about the different ways dogs are fed in different countries. Oh, it's, 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 it's um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's very depending on what country, what country you're in. Again, like in the UK, for instance, like now we're talking with Butternut Box. I'm doing a lot of work with Butternut Box at the moment and they do a lot of fresh food diet, a tailor-made diet. So you can imagine it's like, you know, it's all gently cooked and human, human grade food for consumption It's delivered to people's doorsteps. And it's um, like specifically made for that individual dog and it's tailor-made. And then you've got also like store kibble, which have a complete food and a complete diet. And then you've got um, like the raw food where pe people freeze and defrost and, and all those different types of food that we have available to us as a general consumer um whereas in other countries there may not necessarily be that wide variety of different types of food and so often i think a lot of people go in the less processed direction so similar again to that kind of cooking at home method um and trying to provide the best nutrition for their pets sometimes some some people are just providing their pets exactly what they eat in all these other countries yeah. as well so, well my, my wife's family is uh from bombay from mumbai and mm. her her auntie uh, had a had a dog yeah. and uh, uh this was a few years ago like i don't know 15 20 years ago and uh, i don't think you could even really buy dog food in india then and her mm. so her dog ate a lot of rice okay yeah fair fair yeah that's uh, that's a common that's a common one i mean in fact my nutrition teacher in um in hungary would be pretty proud of me for this moment because i remember in his lectures he always used to tell us about heart disease um in cats and how um some carbohydrates help to reduce the likelihood of heart disease and he always used to say this thing where um cats in italy have very little incidence of heart disease because they're all being fed pasta on a regular occasion and they're all getting pasta and leftover pasta not saying that people should feed their pets pasta but um it was a correlation between the fact that high pasta intake and low risk of heart disease in italy italian cats okay this is cats only this doesn't necessarily go to humans as well 
All right, well. It's another story. <laughs> humans yeah. maybe wine, a little bit of pasta. The, the, the good <laughs> life, I think, reduces heart disease in humans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it depends how much wine you have with the pasta. Um, exactly. And, and hopefully cats aren't consuming too much wine. I would hope they're not going anywhere near wine, considering as grapes can be toxic for cats, <laughs> as well as <Yeah>. alcohol. <laughs> Let, let's, let's take it back to uh, dogs again and, and talking mm. about the, the food. A few weeks ago, I'm sure I saw a study uh, that was talking about uh, owners that had fed their dogs a vegetarian diet. And the result yes. was that they had less trips to the vet. Now, mm. what do you think about that? Have you, have you your thoughts on feeding your dog a vegetarian diet? Yeah, so we've come across we've come across this. I've come across the study personally as well, and like a lot of vets will tell you their own opinions on the study as well. And in a way, the study was a little bit biased, and the way a lot of some of the articles came out were a little bit biased towards a vegetarian diet. Now, as a vet, there's nothing against feeding a dog a vegetarian diet as long as it's not strictly vegetarian. Obviously, cat, cats and dogs are carnivores, but dogs are not what we call obligate carnivores. Okay, I'm going to get a bit sciencey now. Carnivores right. are only just the name for the fact that animals with pointy pointy sharp teeth and big claws essentially is how we categorize carnivores in a scientific term okay um but dogs aren't obligate carnivores they're actually omnivores so it means that they don't have to just eat meat they can eat vegetables and that's why a lot of dogs graze a lot of dogs eat grass and why dogs can handle carbohydrates and vegetables a lot better than cats do um, right. but cats are a different story so dogs can actually be fed a, veg a vegetarian based diet not solely because they do need their protein requirements but they can live quite well off a vegetarian a vegetarian diet is, okay. you know it's it's proven so they don't have to necessarily go vegan and i wouldn't ex i wouldn't expect a, a dog to go vegan but they can live quite well off a vegetarian insect-based diet plant diet interchanged okay. with the meat as well so i mean dogs they look at the teeth dogs have got you look at those teeth and think oh god they must eat meat but then yeah. the difference between them and cats is uh the claws dogs haven't got sharp claws or well, not as sharp exactly exactly and also cats are like cats the way their digestive system is made up they are obligate carnivores so they need high protein they need a high diet whereas dogs are, don't need the high diet they don't need the high protein diet they don't get their energy source specifically from protein they can process the carbohydrates a lot better as well all right but so having said that because i'm i'm a brit and hence i kind mm. of spoil my dog i sometimes uh either me, me or my wife we cook up chicken and mm. uh put some peas and carrots in with that and you know that's okay. what the dog eats and seems to love it so it kind of am i am i just sort of wasting my time would the dog be happy with just you know a bit of raw raw whatever raw mince or you know leftovers mm. so leftovers i'm a i'm a i'm a big um like a i'll, I'll slap people on the wrist with a ruler uh, when they say they're giving their dog leftovers because I tried to tell people to avoid leftovers just because of the fact of obesity and, and pancreatitis is a common thing in dogs as well. Um, what, mainly because pancreatitis. Pan pancreatitis, pancreatitis is a condition involving the pancreas um, okay. where the pancreas becomes super sore because it has to absorb all the fats and it has to break down all the fats that become super sore and super painful and it manifests itself in whether it's vomiting or throwing up or just stomach upset in general. Um, and usually that comes from feeding really high fat foods. Uh, and often the high fat foods come from directly from our dinner table. Um, right. So leftovers, I always get a little bit touchy on the topic of leftovers, but once in a while I can't harm them. Now, giving them home cooked food like chicken, chicken and rice or chicken and peas and carrots. Yeah, it's great um, from time to time. And sometimes it works as a good um, 
food topper so add on top of food um but you don't want to be doing it too much or if you are going to go down the route of home cooked meals then you want to contact a nutritionist or check there are some places where you can check online to see what the formulation is to make sure you're not missing out any of the macro or micronutrients that your dog needs oh okay all right actually yeah. sometimes we try and chuck in a bit of um uh, that kibble that says it's you know a complete dog food so yes, quite often exactly. it's a bit of a mixture exactly so the big thing that you want to look out for with dog foods especially when you're giving them food uh, and this is why we steer away from home cooking ourselves is because you want to look for a complete food um you want to look for a, a food that has a complete a complete by complete it basically means that per portion that they eat it gives them all the nutrients and requirements they need in order to continue living and continue thriving um so a lot of diets have been standardized or or tested against that to make sure that they are complete. So sometimes it can be kibble. Sometimes it can be fresh cooked food, like, like butternut box for existence. Um, sometimes it can be raw food, but as long as it's a complete diet, it, 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 the importance is it being complete. Then yeah. you make sure that your plate is not lacking in nutrients. And then what about, you, you do see some foods, particularly on the kibble things so that it says, you know, labeled, this is for puppies or this is for, mm. you know, little dogs or big dogs. And mm. I look at them and I think, you know what? I bet it's all pretty much the same in there. Is this, so am, actually, I, am I being a bit too facetious? Is it just marketing yeah. gone mad? Or? <laughs> yeah, you're, not, you're, not, you're, you're being a bit hard on the pet food company. So they actually do a lot of research and a lot of time is spent in, in researching what is required for each stage of life. And actually mm-hmm. part of the, um, there's two different um, companies. So there's Fediaf and there's Wasava. And they also give the guidelines for pet food across Europe and across the world as well, and making sure they're veterinary regulated, okay? And part of the requirements is that um, a pet food or a pet food company needs to be able to list what stage of life the food is for. Okay. So certain animals at different stages of life, they require different amounts of protein. You can imagine a growing child or a growing puppy needs a high amount of protein, a high amount of carbohydrates in some cases in order to support their growth, okay? Whereas an an adult cat might need something that might not necessarily be super rich in protein, but might favor protein more than carbohydrates. Uh, And then an adult, and then a senior cat might need something that favors less protein. So it's not too demanding on the kidneys, but then also... It gives enough carbohydrates and enough fuel in order for them to keep going through the day. Do you understand? All right. What I mean? so, so the message is: do do look at the label uh, when you're yes, exactly. buying food for your pet. All right. What? Let me ask exactly. you something else about treats. Because with a, mm. uh, a puppy in the household, we've been trying to do a bit of training, and yeah. um, so choice of treats is is uh, unfortunately my dog doesn't really seem to be terribly interested in any treats. But yeah, <laughs> have you got any <laughs> suggestions or or thoughts for me on training treats? treats are tricky pardon the pun but treats can be quite tricky in the sense of sometimes i tell people especially when you have a puppy that doesn't know any better just use the food as a treat mm-hmm. now i discuss people i discuss especially when you've got a young puppy that there's different ways of grading your treats so you can have really high value rewards these are like your these are the ones that you only pull out once in a lifetime, but it's to really stimulate the dog to get to do what it wants to do, especially if you're training for like separation anxiety or being left at home alone, all those sorts of things. So those ones are things like cheese or like uh, dog dog peanut butter, or these are, you know, these are things where the dog doesn't really get it, especially even chicken, even cooked chicken could be a high value treat. And that's mm-hmm. something that you're really trying to get the dog to, you're trying to reward them really well for what they've done so that they know they can do it again. So that can be used when you're trying to rule out the stubborn training techniques and things like that. Then you have a slightly lower value 
um, rewards, which could be their cable, which could be um, something that you give them often, carrots, banana, berries. These sorts of things could be um, used on a day-to-day basis. So say you're lead walking, you're trying to get them to get used to being close to lead or you're practicing, you know, just sitting next to you whilst you're going for a walk. These are the kind of things that you can give them um, as a low value treat. And so you can, you can grade your treats a little bit, you know? Sure. Uh, so that's, that's one way to go. Yeah. All right. Look, so this, this might be a similar sort of topic, but so my, my dog is a, a Bedlington Whippet, right? And I really love to see her run in the park. You know, she's built mm. for a bit of speed. So I, I take yep. her to the park and she races crazy fast. It's lovely, lovely to watch. But her mm. recall isn't that great. You know, if she sees another mm. dog, she just wants to go and play with this other dog, say hi and all the rest of it. So getting her to come back again isn't always that easy. Yeah. In the sphere of a, a veterinary surgeon, it might be more of a dog behaviorist, but yep. help. <laughs> 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 I felt I felt the help. I, I felt that yeah. one. <laughs> I could feel it in your voice, desperation. Um, so with recall, recall's a, recall's a challenging one because it's something you want to work on. Um, and I've picked this up from a few trainers before in the past is that, again, this is where you want to work out your high value rewards. OK, and maybe 15 minutes a day, you want to choose. You want to figure out a word that you have a figure, figure a word that's special to you that you want to use that you don't use every day in an everyday sentence. Uh, so like a friend of mine says, uh, come, but in Spanish. Um, uh, and so they'll, they'll use it. And essentially what you do with your dog is you get the high recall, you get the high value treat, sorry, and you get your recall word. You repeat it over and over in a high-pitched voice. So say, you I don't know, if you're Norwegian, the word is play, I think. So my friend says leke, and she goes leke, 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 leke. And she'll keep calling her uh, and use the high-value treats to entice her in, to entice her dog back in. And that will get her to come back in. And every time you give mm-hmm. them that treat over that 15 minutes and you practice that high recall in a small, in a small space first and then in a larger space progressively as you get better with the recall and coming back. And then you'll find out that they tend to run back to you because they're always expecting this high value treat. Yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like I'm sort of going along the right lines. I'm sort of doing a, a bit of that. I just need to persevere a little exactly. bit. Now, exactly. You know, we I are a nation of dog lovers. Loads of people have dogs uh, just now. So if, pe- if people are listening to this and thinking, all right, mm. I do want to find out a bit more about what's good to feed my dog, best ways to look after my dog, training tricks and treats and all this sort of thing. Mm. Um, What's a, what's a good resource people can uh, hunt down? Yeah, so, I mean, funny enough, as you mentioned it as well, I did a, I did a recent survey with Butternut Box and we did a survey on people's parenting style and how they parent and the different types of, in, in types of ways in which they compare it, almost like kind of sort them into these different types of Harry Potter houses of your par- parenting style. Mm-hmm. So we had like things like the porent, which is like the mothering and they treat their pet like a baby. You have the putty and paws in which the dog just looks at you and they get what they want. You have the paws on, which is like a healthy balance between the assertive and relaxed and the sloth where any anything goes. You're just peaceful and chilled and you're the trainer where you have like a regimented training program. Everything's obedience, everything's routine. So it was a very strict kind of thing. But what this allowed us to see is what kind of pet owner some people are and what they're confident in what they're confident in and what they're not so confident in. And so this was a great resource, which is available on the uh, button up box website as well. Um, right. But we've also got some, we've also got some uh, healthy tips as well for like just general dog health tips that I'm giving in videos as well on their YouTube channel. So that's another place in which people can go as well. All right. That's, that sounds a like good advice. Let me just ask you about one of those, this anything goes guide to looking after a dog. It yeah. doesn't sound terribly healthy or, or, or possibly not even very safe to me. 
Yeah, yeah. And you'd be surprised there are people like that. There's some people who, like themselves, they like to call themselves the sloth. And funny enough, it came up top five in our survey where some people are just anything goes. You know what? My dog can have free reign, which isn't healthy. It's not a healthy relationship with your pet because you've got to learn to teach them boundaries and also know what's best for them as well. Yeah, goodness me. All right. Well, that sounds like a, a very good piece of advice to end on. So, look, Wally, thank you very much indeed for chatting. I think seeing as so many people have dogs now, a lot of people are going to find this uh, very interesting and very useful. So, so thank you. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much to my guests on this week's show. And they were Katie Piper and Sarah Alson talking about indoor air pollution and then Vet Bolu Esu talking about our relationships with uh, our pets, particularly dogs uh, around the world and the different things that we might feed them around the world. And of course, a big thank you to you for listening. That was the Relaxed Back UK show with me, Mike Dill. Thank you for listening and please do join us again next time.